This is episode 32 of the Christian Emergency Podcast. Can you tell us what happened? Um, so we were about to have a worship event, and uh, Antifa just rolled in like an angry mob, started throwing flash bombs at everybody, macing everybody, rotten eggs at everybody, um, black paint. Um, they threw a flash bomb into a group of kids that were out there um, from like four months old to like ten. Um, yeah, they were ruthless. Unbelievable. And this is a pastor? Yeah, I'm a pastor also. Walked up to ask him to stop. Walked up to ask him to stop throwing things at the children. Because there's kids down there. I mean, they're toddlers. Yeah. And they sprayed me too, obviously. So, anyhow. Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us today. We're going to be looking at three different events that have happened around the globe recently, and we're doing that for a couple reasons. One, we're going to try to extract some principles and lessons that we can apply in our daily life and how we go about living in our communities of faith in the church and praying for one another and strengthening one another Also, we're going to try to compare and contrast some of the patterns that we're seeing in different parts of the world that affect the church, and that's why we're just going to jump right into this and see how God moves and see what lessons he draws out. But the first incident that we're going to be looking at that recently occurred was an attack that Antifa recently did. This is being recorded on August 8th, 2021, and I believe this attack occurred just yesterday on August 7th, 2021. Um, But it was an attack on an outdoor prayer gathering that was being hosted in Portland, Oregon, near the downtown area. And to get an understanding of exactly what happened, I'm going to be reading from an article. The article was published by The Post Millennial, and it's called Breaking Antifa Assault Families and Children at Christian Prayer Event in Portland Park. The article is written by Alex Ahmed and Andy No, and it starts out like this. A large group of Antifa carrying shields and melee weapons attacked a group of evangelical Christians congregating for a prayer and worship event at the waterfront in downtown Portland, Oregon. Video recorded at the scene showed children and families running away as black-clad Antifa militants tore apart the sound equipment and assaulted attendees with pepper spray and projectiles. The event was announced last month by a Christian ministry featuring firebrand Canadian preacher Artur Polowski, The Calgary pastor gained notoriety earlier this year for speaking out against lockdown measures that targeted places of worship. In response to the announcement of the worship event, Portland and Tifa groups and activists on Twitter organized a direct action. Welcome to Portland. You won't like it here, pastor, tweeted Portland and Tifa member Melissa Lewis. Shocking video recorded at the violent event showed dozens of armed Antifa members in black block and riot gear moving in to physically confront attendees of the event. One of the Antifa members sprayed a congregant with an unidentified gas-like substance that is suspected to be pepper spray. The congregation took several steps back to avoid injury. 
where is your God now? An Antifa member can be heard saying in the video, after pulling apart the sound system, the Antifa tossed the equipment into the Williamette River. A woman can be seen panicking as she and her fellow parishioners backed away to avoid further altercation. Quote, they threw a flash bomb into a group of kids, said a female attendee who spoke to a videographer at the scene while the injured were being treated. An Antifa account on Twitter later posted that they stole the Christian attendee's food and water. So this is the event that just occurred um, in Portland, Oregon. If you haven't seen any of the videos, uh, there is some rough language in them, but you can go to the Christian Emergency Alliance Twitter feed or to our Facebook page to, to see them. There's a couple different angles, and as you heard in the introduction to this podcast, there's a, a woman who witnessed all of this while she's treating a Christian pastor who's been injured. Uh, she shares an account of, of what occurred, and you can see that also on our social media feeds. But it was a, a very sobering attack to, to see this occur. And there's a few things that we can extract from this principle that we can apply in our own lives and prepare for possible persecution down the road, however that might manifest in our own lives. But before we do that, because we're talking about a few different types of persecution, and when you have persecution, you naturally have persecutors, and we have to, I believe, ground ourselves in a biblical mindset when we're engaging in these topics— I want to read from what Jesus said and what's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I think it's important for us as we start this discussion on persecution to ground ourselves in that truth that we are to harbor a supernatural love for those who persecute those who are in the church. It's it's not something that we do in our human abilities. This is something that we really have to intentionally pursue through biblical instruction like Matthew 5. But it's really important for us as we're having this conversation to not cave to hate but instead to love and pray for those who are involved in these attacks that we're going to be discussing today on this episode. And it's also helpful for some of us that have worked in areas where persecution has run rampant because we've known other people who are serving the church today who yesterday were attacking the church. Um, So we can hold out hope and pray for those who are attacking the church today that they may be convicted, that they might repent of their sin, and they might become bold and brazen believers, advancing the kingdom for Jesus Christ. So that that's an important lens for us to look through as we're going through this. This attack on the believers, the evangelical Christians in Portland, was rough to watch. These militants descending upon this gathering, and there really are women and kiddos running away. You see the militants stealing their stuff, their chairs, their equipment. Pretty rough, and there's no police helping out or anything. They were pretty vulnerable. But let's look at a a few things that happened here. First is, if anybody was monitoring these types, this event on social media, it wasn't very long before you saw posts being made by those that cheered on the, the militants these people who claim to be anti-fascist, but who are really acting exactly like fascists. They're acting like authoritarians trying to tramp down on Christians from publicly speaking, and they were successful in that this week. But they're cheering them on, making jokes and snide remarks about the victims in this case, people who were being attacked with eggs and 
pepper spray and projectiles. It's rough, but here's the lesson that we can take out of that. We need to know we will be ridiculed. There will be those who refuse to to see events as they objectively are. There are those that are just going to be against us. And that's just the reality of the world, but that's always been the reality facing Christians in the church. If something like that event happens to us, then we don't have to be so shocked if that's the type of response we get. What's more heartbreaking is when you see people that hold themselves out as Christians, as Christian leaders, where they are also kind of minimizing uh, the attack on believers or labeling the victims with names and falsehoods and just smears. That happened in this event as well. There was a gentleman that's from the Portland area, Reverend Chuck Curry. He took to Twitter in the wake of these attacks and said, Christian minister in Portland here, this was no, quote, family Christian prayer event, end quote. It was a far-right political rally organized by a failed mega-congressional candidate from California. Just assume everything Andy No tweets is made up. And Andy No, who is not a believer, but he's a, a person that tracks Antifa, writes about Antifa, recently wrote a book about Antifa. Antifa is no fan of Andy No, But here's this pastor demeaning those who were attacked, kind of minimizing the attack itself. He goes on to tweet, uh, correction, it was far-right pastor Artur Polosky who apparently organized yesterday's event, not far-right pastor Sean Foyt, who is scheduled to rally today. Both are extremists from outside Portland opposed to equality and measures to protect public health. If you don't know Artur Polosky, you can go back and listen to our interview with him. That was episode 25. That was on April 26th of this year. And the title was A Shepherd Who Growled at the Wolves. He made headlines when he essentially chased police out of his church during Easter. It was on video and it made some waves. And we talked about his perspective because he grew up in a communist setting. So he recognized some of the concerning patterns that were manifesting around him in Canada. You can go back and listen to that, but that's Artur Polosky, and this gentleman here is smearing him and making this seem to be like it was a political rally. Sean Foigt, if you don't know him, he's been leading kind of musical crusades along some of these areas and just going around and holding worship events, and some of them have been attacked viciously. We posted something months ago about a pastor who was attacked with blood. I don't know what kind of blood. I don't know if it was from a butcher or what, but they threw blood on this pastor at an event. It was really dark, um, but this is the type of events that, that's happening in these areas, and we need to be aware of them. You can go and find copies of the flyers that were being used by the Christians who held this prayer and worship events in Oregon. It was called Courageous Truth uh, with Pastor Artur Polosky, August 7th at 12. Nothing political. It does have a flag on it, but really it's called Courageous Truth. Artur Polosky has gained some notoriety for his stands in defense of the religious liberty of, of Christians in Canada, and that has spread. That's what's going on. Again, applying it to ourselves, applying it to you and your life, you have to know that if there's events like this, if there's pressure like this or persecution that rises, there's often going to be lies told about the event and spun, and you need to be aware of it. Not only do you need to be aware of it so you're not shocked or depressed when something like that happens and you didn't expect it, but we also need to be savvy to that so that it doesn't freeze us out from supporting fellow Christians when they're attacked, when they're maligned. They can be called these nasty names, and then all of a sudden, if our impulse was to help them, 
we might second guess ourselves and be like, maybe I don't want to wade into that and help them. They got called those terrible names. Maybe, maybe some of that's true. And we have to be discerning. And it's, it's absolutely true that people can be persecuted not for Jesus Christ, not for the gospel, but instead for just being, you know, a jerk. That's certainly possible. But we better give a lot of credence and a lot of grace and really look into it and look into the case of fellow Christians when they're being maligned by those who are not Christians, by those who have a partisan axe to grind, by those who are ideologically opposed to Christianity. We better be really, really, really seeing through that, taking a hard look at what fellow Christians are going through. That's true for us as Christians I'd say that's particularly true for pastors as well. Pastors, this event that happened, it's shocking. It was a shocking display of violence directed at believers. Yes, there was lies told about them, but they were also physically assaulted. There was kids in the mix of that. That that is a shocking event. And yet there's not a tremendous outcry about events like this. This isn't the first one, but it seems like there's a lot of silence from pastors I want to be gracious to pastors because so much is heating up around them that they often are somewhat unfamiliar. They're a little flat-footed, being caught with these things flaring up, and they're not exactly sure how to respond, particularly when there's some lies being shared out there. Or, But when it comes to persecution, this is what I would challenge pastors with and us as Christians around the world, whatever country you're in. We need to be very charitable when it comes to supporting one another as persecution hits. Would you be doing missions necessarily with one another? Perhaps not. Would you be supporting every theological point of reference that they use? Maybe not. Maybe you have some theological differences that you wouldn't necessarily partner in ministry with, and that's okay. But if a Christian is being physically attacked, if Christians are being tossed in jail, if Christians are being threatened and harassed and families being run out of a park, we better speak up. We better act on that. We better not be silent. And unfortunately, silence is often the default. That's been true through history as authoritarian regimes have stood up. It's true as community pressures build. It's the default. It's kind of a safer position, especially for those that aren't quite sure what's going on, but we need to step out of that. We need to be willing to speak up for fellow believers, even if they fall into different denominational streams than us, even if we would have firm disagreements with them. If they are taking a stand for Jesus Christ, if they're not backing down, we better be very generous. We better be very forthcoming in lending them support, lending them our voices, and absolutely lending them our prayers. If you think that they're theologically off, well then pray for that too. Pray for them to to come to a, a more mature biblical understanding, but don't write them off. Don't be silent. Speak up, speak out against those who are attacking them, because those that are attacking them in most cases are attacking them because they hate the gospel. They hate the word. They hate the spirit. They hate what Jesus Christ has done and is doing in this world. Those that oppose a humanist, a secular worldview because they're Christians and they want to uphold biblical values are going to be slandered. They're going to be harassed. They're going to be marginalized. They're going to be attacked. We need to stand with them because we're going to want people standing with us when that wave hits us and our families and our congregations. So in a sense, this is a teaching moment. We know this has happened throughout history. We know what's happening today. When something shocking like this happens, let's let's use this. Let's redeem this time. Let's take this thought captive 
and let's see how we as Christians can be more unified and support one another, particularly in these darkest moments when authoritarian impulses are rampant. And those authoritarian impulses, clearly even in the United States and other Western nations, they're not just arising in government, but they're arising in communities too, like happened here in Portland. Law enforcement really didn't do anything. They were warned in advance, and they weren't there to help out. So the community, this attack really came from Antifa, just people in that area that banded together, coordinated, and decided to attack uh, these people and call them names. That's, That's what happened in Portland, Oregon. So let's pivot real quick. Let's go to Nigeria. So we're, we're moving from Portland to Nigeria, and that might seem like an odd pivot, but let's see what we learn. To set the stage for why I want to talk about Nigeria and when we're talking about persecution, I'm going to be reading from an article by Emily Wood of the Christian Post. This was written on Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. The article is titled, At Least 3,400 Nigerian Christians Killed, 3,000 Abducted So Far in 2021, NGO Estimates. And here I'm going to read from the article. A Nigerian civil society organization estimates that over 3,400 Christians have been killed by extremists since January, a number that nearly surpasses the number of Christian deaths Open Doors USA estimated in Nigeria for all of 2020. The Anambra-based International Society for Civil Liberties and Rule of Law, or Inner Society, released a report this week estimating that at least 3,462 Christians have been killed by extremists in just 200 days, while at least 3,000 Christians have been abducted. The report also estimates that no fewer than 300 churches and 10 priests have been attacked. The report comes as global human rights activists continue to raise the alarm about the troubling trend of deadly attacks carried out on communities in the farming-rich middle belt of Nigeria by radicalized Fulani herders in the country's northeast by Islamic extremists. InterSociety, an organization headed by Christian criminologist Amika Umiegbalasi, I hope I pronounced that right, relies on what it deems to be credible local and foreign media reports, government accounts, reports from international rights groups, and eyewitness accounts to compile statistical data. Due to the lack of adequate government record-keeping, death tolls reported by media outlets or governments are estimates and often are skewed. Many have accused the Nigerian government of inadequately responding to protected citizens. Quote, The Nigerian government has continued to face sharp criticisms and strong accusations of culpability and complicity in the killings and supervision of the same, the Inter-Society Report reads. Quote, the country's security forces have so fumbled and compromised that they hardly intervene when the vulnerable Christians are in danger of threats and attacks, but only emerge after such attacks to arrest and frame up the same population threatened or attacked. End quote. Advocates warn that insurgent groups often experience no accountability for their actions or receive ransoms for kidnappings, though the government denies paying ransom to terrorists. Quote, it is deeply saddening that to date those responsible for the anti-Christian butcheries in the country have continued to evade justice and remain unchecked, untracked, uninvestigated, and untried, leading to impunity and repeated atrocities, Inner Society said in the report. Jihadi attacks in West Africa have been on the rise since the beginning of 2021. Islamic terrorist groups have killed thousands in the region in recent years as they seek to impose a caliphate and Islamic Sharia law. The Global Terrorism Index ranks Nigeria as the third country most affected by terrorism in the world. It reports that from 2001 to 2019, over 22,000 were killed by acts of terror. In December, Nigeria became the first democratic nation to be added to the U.S. State Department's list of countries of particular concern under the International Religious Freedom Act. 
Human rights activists have warned that the violence in Nigeria is reaching the standard for genocide. A commissioner for the U.S. Commission on International and Religious Freedom warned in its 2021 annual report that Nigeria, quote, will move relentlessly toward a Christian genocide if action is not taken quickly. We all know as Christians, as Christian parents, as pastors, that technology can and has been wielded for devastating ends. This is true of the coarse language, the images, the pornography that can traffic on websites, on social media. It's absolutely been devastating. But technology is also a tool that can bless the church as well in these days. That's just true today. So, for example, the fact that we're able to learn about events like this in Nigeria and other nations is remarkable. And we have not only the opportunity, but I would submit the obligation to be keeping tabs of one another, of events as they're manifesting around the, the globe. And that can be very challenging, but that is one of the ways that the Christian Emergency Alliance seeks to bless the church around the globe, the global church. And that is by monitoring some of these developments capturing them and and sharing them. That That's what's going on on our social media feeds. You can find the Christian Emergency Alliance on Facebook and on Twitter, and that's where we're posting a lot of this material, in addition to the communications that we're uh, sharing through this podcast. But we need to be redeeming that and using that. We, as the global body, we truly are one spiritual family. These are our brothers and sisters in Nigeria who are being persecuted. Not only is the government in Nigeria not able to do much or willing to do much, I'm not sure what the the real situation is, but it's just not really popular for mainstream media anywhere. But we are the church. We're Christians, and we're called to champion them and lift them up and be praying for them and know what, what they're up to, what's going on in their families and in their fellowships. This is the opportunity that we have through technology like this The church, Christians in northern Nigeria, are taking it on the teeth. They are being hurt. They're being savaged. People might look to them and be like, well, I don't know if they're really believers. Maybe they're just Christians in name only. Uh, I don't really know if this amounts to true religious persecution. Is this more of a land dispute? Are these extremists and jihadis that are just targeting everybody? Well, again, it goes back to the principle that I articulated when we were talking about the Antifa assault in, in Portland. And that is, when it comes to issues of persecution, we need to be very, that, that it's in that realm that we need to be very charitable, gracious, and loving, and wrap our arms around them, because there's bleeding, there's blood on the ground, there's people suffering, there's screams in the air, and we just need to be there for them. We need to be there for one another. God is the one who knows all of our hearts and the condition of our hearts and how the Spirit is moving through these local areas. We just need to champion those of our spiritual family who are in trouble, who are going through tough times, and that's been the case for the Christians in northern Nigeria. We need to be praying for them, supporting them as we can, and just being active and crying out on their behalf. We will return to the podcast momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. 
We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at christianemergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. One thing I do want to point out about when it comes to technology, when it comes to reports, when it comes to stories, uh, we do as Christians have to be discerning. We have to be discerning in how we read these accounts, like the one that I just read, the article from the Christian Post, which is leaning on this this report from uh, from a Nigerian-based NGO. It sure seems like it's relying on some good data where it's very murky and there's not a lot of numbers being kept or tracked. Uh, but they're, it seems like they're trying to make a good faith effort to do so. But I will say this as somebody that's worked for several years doing persecution ministry, numbers can be dangerous at times. They can be dangerous in a missional sense if we're trying to track trends and you know growth of the local church in different obscure frontier areas. That can be very challenging. It could also be very manipulated. And we need to be discerning on that. We need to be discerning in these articles. For example, many years ago, I heard about a small media operation where there were, I believe, well-intentioned Christians that were trying to report on some of these hard-to-reach areas where there wasn't a lot of reporting going on. Uh, Again, that's a wonderful effort, but it sounded like there was an incentive structure put in place where the people that were publishing the reports or or coming up with the, the stories, breaking the news, they got paid every time they broke a new story. Well, of course, that incentivized the creation of stories that were legitimate, but it also incentivized the creation of stories that may not have been legitimate. I knew that for some of the stories that were being raised, question marks were being raised by those in the missions community, those involved in some of those countries and areas. And so we need to be discerning on that. Not everything we read is true. And we at the Christian Emergency Alliance have to do our very best as well because it's certainly possible that we could get played, that we could accidentally share something that might not be perfectly accurate, but we also can't allow that fear that we might not be perfectly accurate to freeze us out again in that way. But let's be discerning when we read these reports. Let's try to zoom in for accuracy and to be faithful in how we're reading the details and making sure that we're not just being swept up by anything. So that is what is going on in Nigeria. They need our prayers. They need our intercession, and we need to track them. And we at the Christian Emergency Alliance will certainly endeavor to do our very best to do that. And finally, I want to turn our attention to China. This is going to be somewhat brief, but recently we saw a post by a gentleman named Bob Fu. Bob Fu is a leader with a nonprofit called China Aid. And just within the last 24 hours, he had some pretty startling posts that he put out there. Nine leaders from an influential house church got arrested today. They are leaders from Golden Lampstand Church in Taiwan City. Most of them have already served from four to seven years in jail since 2009 before their church buildings were totally destroyed and bombed. Pastor Yang Rongli, released in 2016, spent seven years in jail. Senior Pastor Wang Guang, husband of Pastor Yang Rongli, was one of the nine pastors who got arrested today, August 7th, 2021. Please pray for them. 
a massive new wave of persecution against churches in China by the CCP, or the Chinese Communist Party. So you have these influential house church pastors being arrested. We have the technology and the access and the ability uh, to see developments like this, to learn of developments like this, and to be therefore tailoring our prayer and intercession to situations like this. Um, In that second post, there was talking about how one of the pastors was married to her husband, and I know from a theological standpoint, uh, that might rub some people wrong. Um, But again, I'm just reemphasizing this point, that though we as Christians might defer on some of these issues of theology, we wouldn't partner necessarily in ministry, we wouldn't necessarily be advancing uh, their theological claims in every single case. We don't have perfect uniformity uh, on those points. When it comes to persecution, we still need to champion them. We need to cry out on their behalf. We have to be championing them. We have to love them and think of their families. We have to think there's there's kids involved. These house churches, there's a lot of people affected, a lot of families affected, a lot of fellowships affected uh, when something like this happens. And the fact that Bob Fu is announcing that there's a massive new wave of persecution arising against the churches in China by the Chinese Communist Party, that's big news. That's something that we need to pay attention to. Sometimes there's very dark seasons of persecution. That's been the history of China, and it appears that we're entering into another one. That is something that for you prayer warriors out there, you can be lifting up and addressing. So we took a a brief look at, at Oregon in the United States of America. We looked at Nigeria. We're looking at China. What are some tips that you can take away and apply in your own lives and with your churches? Let me start out by saying this. Because I was asked this question recently, is like, how can churches stand up if there are, you know, we feel like such a minority as the remnant, how can we do anything? And it's true that we're a remnant. We're, it's true that you could look at cities and see a, a number of church buildings, but only some of them are preaching biblically faithful messages. Only some of them are worshiping in spirit and truth. Only some of them are advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ and engaged in missions and just being the church. That's certainly true. But even if it's only part if we look at that, if we map that out across the globe, it's still a massive church, and we need to be encouraged by that. We need to stand strong. But the individual that that challenged me on that said, yeah, but even if there are a number of them, how do we go about mobilizing them? How do we end up, how does God use them? And the Spirit's going to move how the Spirit's going to move. This God is sovereign. He's on his throne. He's going to accomplish his ends. But what I would say is that the way to strengthen the global church is to ensure that our local churches are strong and theologically sound and active. Churches, local churches, where believers are discipled, where the gospel is proclaimed throughout their community and their local, their local neighborhoods, where missions is being supported and prayed over, where communities are just being blessed, uh, where Jesus Christ is being made famous— So we need to be focusing on ensuring that our own congregations are doing well, that we're discipling well, that we're evangelizing well, that we're fellowshipping well, and we're taking care of one another, uh, that we're sharing the gospel. But here is an important lesson we can also take for our local churches in our roles in our local churches, and it's from the persecuted church in China, and that is believers in these local churches, whatever country you're in, maybe you're listening in the United States, maybe you're in Europe, 
Maybe you're listening in Africa or Asia. I believe the Christian Emergency Alliance is being listened to by an audience in more than 30 different countries, which we're very grateful for. We pray that it's a blessing to your communities. But you, as believers in your local churches, can play a role in helping the local church wherever you are prepare for persecution today. The Chinese house church uh, leadership, uh, this is where I picked it up from, was learning from their insights, and this is where they really were intentional about teaching and broaching the topic of persecution very early with their churches and new believers. So if you're in a church that's been in a traditionally stable area of the world where there's been a lot of religious freedom and you've never really had to deal with this, the time to deal with this is today. The time is right now. You need to get involved and and start playing a role in, in helping the local church figure out what's going on. When I mentioned that the Chinese house church leadership was doing this, they realized that persecution was very, very likely to occur uh, as soon as a new believer came to faith. And I believe it was the second lesson in their discipleship program for these new believers. It was the second lesson for them to come to terms with the, the reality that they could suffer for Jesus Christ. Following Christ was not something that was going to be easy or always pleasant, that it came with a real cost that had to be counted, and that tremendously helped. So when persecution did arise, even if it came more swiftly than people imagined, in a, in a sense, they were inoculated. They, they expected it. They weren't frustrated because frustration is just when our expectations go unmet. In this case, they expected it. They knew it was par for the course, and they just stayed firm in their faith. Well, we in our local churches need to develop that capacity as well, just like our brothers and sisters in Christ in China have been doing. So how can we go about doing this together? Well, this is where I believe the Christian Emergency Alliance can help, and they can help you, and you can in, in turn help your local fellowship. As we're sharing stories, as we're sharing insights like this on our podcast, if you're tracking developments on our social media feeds, whether Facebook or Twitter, as we're staying and we're, as we're using that technology that we described in a positive way from around the globe to stay in touch with one another, to find out and track what's going on with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be a blessing to one another. That's true for countries where Christian persecution has been going on for centuries, where it's mature and longstanding and, and challenging. It's also true in the West, where Christian persecution has been found. It's, you can find Christian persecution in our history. You just have to go back a little ways to do so. But where more and more of it is cropping up today, even though most Western believers have little to no experience with it whatsoever. So how can you help? What role can you play in helping the church stand, which is the goal of the Christian Emergency Alliance, particularly as these pressures we're describing are mounting in every nation on earth? Think about that. Think about that. Pressures are rising against the church in every nation on earth. If you think we're wrong, chime in, communicate with us, let us know, fire a message our way on social media. It's, I, I submit that it's true that in every nation on earth, the pressure is rising at the same time. So here's how you can help. You can take ownership, you yourself. You can take ownership for this small task. You can become a point person for your local church on the topic of persecution. If you're already listening to this podcast, it suggests that you have a heart for what's going on. You have a heart for the kingdom, 
You have a heart for Christ and making his name known throughout the nations for missions, but that you also have a heart for those that are suffering for righteousness' sake, for those that are suffering for the name of Christ. As we're focusing on helping local churches become healthy theologically, healthy missiologically, or with their efforts and missions, we need them also to become healthier when it comes to their preparation for persecution. You can be the belly button for that. Whereas it might be hard for everybody at your church to, to share your passion uh, or to, to even know how to start, you can play that small role to help your local church get more dialed in to what's going so that they, their pastors, your pastors, uh, your elders, your fellow believers and ministry leaders and youth, everybody can start getting their heads more around this than they are today. A real quick cautionary flag on that topic is this. If you accept this challenge, if you say to yourself, you know what, I am going to step up to the plate and I'm just going to take ownership of this for my local church. I'm going to help out. Maybe I can get a couple others to do so, but we're going to just own this and see if we can't integrate this into our local fellowship better. My caution is this, just be gracious as you step out in that role. Please don't get upset. If others around you don't immediately share your passion or convictions, whether about persecution or Christian missions in the frontiers, don't get too upset about that because here's the reality. If you're listening to this or if you've been tracking persecution type events and news for a while, you just have more context. You have more of an awareness around you. This was a challenge that some of our field workers would have when we would travel in and out of countries where persecution was very intense and we'd spend time with families and churches that had lived under incredible pressure and still demonstrated joy in their day-to-day lives. And then when some of the the field workers would return to, to Western countries and go to their own local fellowships, sometimes debates broke out on things that seemed pretty minor. You know, the color of the rooms, of the paints, when that happened, it was very easy for our field workers, or I, I know of a, a missions pastor who had the same experience when he start, first started going on a lot of missions trips to third world countries. It can be disorienting to be in a setting where people are talking about things that are far less compelling or critical to the kingdom, and yet we just need to remind ourselves that they all don't share the same context and insight that, that we have. Um, in a way, it, it's tough to follow this news, but it's also a blessing because I, I do believe it convicts us. It makes life clear when we read the book of Acts. It, it seems a lot more real. If you expect everybody to immediately hear uh, the very first time about the persecuted church and to immediately come up to the same level that you might be at, that's where you might get frustrated. That's where you might lash out. And that's what we want to avoid because, of course, the goal is to ramp up those around us, to help them to spin up on these topics so that they can develop more of a heart for it and also a better grounding in it so that they're prepared for when persecution hits, that they're not frustrated and wandering from the faith. So you can help do that. With that caution flag in mind, you can set about being a belly button, if you will, for your local church, a belly button that others can press on when issues of persecution come up a person that might be able to speak to you know the youth in the church maybe you could start a prayer group dedicated to praying for the persecuted church in these different areas and you could use the Christian Emergency Alliance updates 
You can use other ministries. We're, we are a kingdom asset. We are a kingdom-minded organization. And if you can find great insight from other churches, maybe it's missionaries you're partnered with or missions organizations, sponge up those details as well. But if they encompass persecution, you can start a prayer group and be lifting up these. And if we can be doing this in local churches all throughout Finland, all throughout the United Kingdom, all throughout the United States, all throughout Jordan and Iraq, Kenya and South Africa and Nigeria and China, then we are succeeding, then we are moving in the right direction. Maybe you could start a book club. We're going to start listing if you need to go find resources that you guys could read as a book club. There's all kinds of opportunities to spin up the awareness and preparation for your local church. And if you're that belly button and you want to stay closer aligned to us at the Christian Emergency Alliance, it's essentially what we're inviting you to be. We're inviting you to become a strategic ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance. And if you're hearing questions that you don't feel very well versed on answering, then write to us, reach out to us, tell us what resources we can provide to make your jobs easier with your local church. You can ping us on our social media feeds. You can write us at andy at christianemergency.com. Tell us what questions you're hearing. Tell us what insight you need. Tell us what topics are coming up a lot and what you know, just is going to be generally helpful to you in your local church. We will do everything in our power to direct assistance your way. If you're not aware, the Christian Emergency Alliance was created and established for this purpose. It was named in honor of the Pastors Emergency League, which was a Christian alliance that was stood up by men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany when the Nazis began co-opting the German church when Christians in Germany were being pressured and the temperature was rising and persecution was becoming more of a reality and where theology wasn't allowed to be taught, where sin wasn't allowed to be called sin, where if you held to biblical views of Scripture, of the Spirit, and just theology, you were going to have real problems. The Pastors Emergency League stood up to counter that, to support biblical Christians, to support those who were paying a price, That's what we are trying to do on a global basis. So we invite you to become a part of that as as an ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance. The global church is going to be blessed when these thousands of local churches are strengthened, healthy, and active. And we also just need to be aware of one another and to be in prayer for one another and, and just loving one another. It's a joy and an honor. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26 reads, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving a greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is what we're aiming for, is that we can strengthen, encourage, suffer together, honor together, live together, support one another, be strong and unified as a church around this globe. Whether that's in the United States, Nigeria or China, or any country where you are listening from, or any country you're praying for, any country where you're sending missionaries to, any country that's just near and dear to your heart, Christians there have a role to play. Christians need one another. Local churches need other local churches around the world. We are one spiritual family, so be encouraged. The church, yes, we're facing pressures today in places like Oregon and Nigeria and China and all these other nations, but we have faced them before, and we have technological resources at bay that are going to allow us to connect better, to track better, and the church stood before, and it's going to stand today. We get to play a part in that. We get to play a small little role. What a joy, what an honor, and I am thrilled to be in the trenches with each and every one of you. Hope to hear from you guys. If you do have questions or want to find out more how you can partner with us and assist your local church. But until next time, please keep your chins up, your eyes up, and let's help the church stand together. Bye. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.